Now, I said, um, I gave a sermon last week on how to pray, and this is really the part two of it, because I was going to uh, try to give it one sermon. I saw quickly that I couldn't do it. So this follow-up sermon is entitled, The Key to Answered Prayer. The Key to Answered Prayer. And I hope all you folks out there on the phone lines can hear real well, and you'll get this message too. So uh, let's begin here by turning to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, verse 19. And here Paul says something rather interesting. He's talking about how we've received understanding and we've been enlightened. And uh, we have the hope of our calling. And then he adds here in verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Now what's he saying here? He's saying here whether or not you experience that is going to be dependent on whether or not you believe. So my very first point, actually this is really not the first point, this is setting the stage for, for seven uh, points I'm going to give, but the, the, the uh, let's say the, uh, the fundamental principle in prayer is believing. If you don't believe, you can forget about it, because you will get nowhere. Hebrews 11, verse number 1. And uh, this is a very important text because this is a faith chapter, but it shows you here what this principle of faith really involves. And it says here, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He exists. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He must believe. So that's a very first principle. And as James adds here, and some of these texts are fundamental texts we are, most of us are familiar with, and uh, we read here in James 1, verses 5 and 6, If any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Uh, it'll be given to him, so forth. But now the verse 6, But let him ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven, tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So if you come to God in prayer, and I mean prayer is absolutely essential for salvation, and you have doubts and you don't believe, you'll not receive answers, plain and simple. That's the fundamental principle. That'll set the stage for what I'm going to say here when I get to these seven points. Now, Mark chapter 11 and verse number 24. Mark 11 and verse number 24. Therefore I say to you, this is Jesus talking, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. Now that's contingent upon another condition, which I'm going to um, bring, up, bring up as my first point. We'll get to that in a moment or two. And then in Matthew 21, verse number 22. Matthew 21 and verse number 22. Whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So here's the key. Believing is the key. 
And then uh, just a, a, a happy admonition here, because when we read that, then we can come before God with this uh, text in mind, Philippians 4 and verse number 6. Be anxious for nothing, that is, don't be overly concerned about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Come to God with your requests. And that can include a myriad of things. Now that leads to the first point. You must ask according to God's will. What if you ask and you're, you're, you're imploring and, and beseeching God for something that is not his will at all? Maybe it's contrary to God's law. Or maybe it's bad and harmful for you. Now, is God going to change his law and, and uh, change what's harmful to you because you beseech him for something that's against his will? Of course not. So, here's a scripture I think we all need to certainly have down pat. If we don't have it memorized, we certainly ought to know it's in uh, Paul's writings here in the New Testament. Ephesians 5 and verse 15 See then, you do not walk, that you do walk circumspectly, carefully, in other words, not as fools, but as wise, uh, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, how are you going to understand what the will of the Lord is if you never study the Bible and find out how he thinks and what he believes and what he states? I met a fellow on a baptizing tour years ago, and he'd been listening to Mr. Armstrong. Huge fellow. He had hands twice the size of mine. And uh, I, he, didn't, he didn't know anything about the Sabbath, a number of things he didn't know about. And I said, well, don't you know that the, the correct Sabbath is Saturday, the seventh day of the week? I believe it. Take me out and baptize me. Well, needless to say, he wasn't baptized. I just told him he needed a lot more study and proving because if you just take somebody's word for something and you don't study yourself and you don't pour over God's word and you don't understand what he's saying, you can make some pretty sad mistakes regarding what you're praying for, expecting something you don't, you, that is against God's will. Now, we don't always know ourselves uh, the, the, the best way to state or to say things, but there's an interesting text here in Romans 8, verse number 26. We read here, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with sighs which cannot be uttered. That's a better translation. The Spirit of God inspiring is, is desires to help us. And if we're aware of that, we can come to God in confidence. Now, there's another important thing here. We'll get to this because this really touches on another one of these points a little bit later on. But I'll mention it right now. You see, there was a reason. There was a very strong reason that God answered Daniel's prayers so dramatically. Absolute miracles that haven't happened since. And why do we read? Why did it happen? All right, here is Daniel 9, verse number 23. Remember, he was praying and praying for the sins of his people. And as we read here in verse 3, he set his forth toward the Lord God to make requests for prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. 
And while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. Boy, that's really a statement, isn't it? I wonder how many of us God can look on and say, we're greatly beloved. Well, I can tell you it was because of a certain lifestyle that he had and what his viewpoint was. He was not living any kind of a way that was contrary to God's will. In fact, when we talk about God's will, here's one of the things the Bible tells us we better be aware of. And this is in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Well, let's just pick it up in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You do it by doing God's will, and then you get the proof. The consequences. What are the consequences, consequences when you decide you're going to live a life contrary to God? Well, I tell you, the sad tales I could tell you would make you weep if I'd start telling you about some of the things I've seen. Some of the heartaches and sorrows that I've experienced. A little six-year-old girl had a tumor on her back as big as a little girl was. Well, I found out later. What was the husband doing? Stealing from his employer and ended up in prison. They liked, they'd like to have had that little girl healed, and I would have loved to have seen it too. But if you're not pleasing God, then you're not going to get, you're not going to get, if you're not doing God's will, you're not going to get it. So you better understand what his will is. All right, the second, second point, second factor. You must be absolutely sincere. You must be genuine. You must be honest. First of all, honest with yourself. That's the trouble with so many people today. They're not even honest with themselves. You know, there was a comment uh, by Shakespeare years ago. I remember it in high school. And it went like, uh, To thine own self be true. Thou cannot thence be false to any man. If you're honest with yourself, you'll be an honest person. And you won't couch things. You won't phrase things. You won't favor them in order to get the advantage. So that's, you remember what, what did Jesus say when he saw Nathaniel approach? You know, he could read the hearts and minds. And he said, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. A man who is absolutely sincere. That's required to get answers from God. If you come to God and you're hiding something or you're, count, you're counting something, you're trying to pull the wool over God's eyes and you think you're going to delude and deceive him, you're daydreaming. It's not going to happen. Matthew 6, verse number 5. You know, that's what the religious leaders did in, in Jesus' time. That's why they were a bunch of phonies. And he knew it. And he told them that on more than one occasion. They didn't like to hear it. 
And that's the way most hypocrites are. They don't like to hear it. That is, you read here in Matthew 6, verse number 5, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand, pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have had, they have their reward. That's all it's going to be. So it is a big show. And it's not sincere. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 14, we read, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Well, they sound righteous, don't they? They put on a good show. But they're not sincere, and they're not honest, and they're not genuine. You've got to be genuine yourself. See, this is the trouble of the Israel of old, and certainly a lot of you know, human nature hasn't changed, and even people are the same way today. And here's what you read in Isaiah 29 and verse number 13. Isaiah 29 and 13, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips and have removed their hearts far from me. It's all a pretense. It's all a show. Isn't that what largely what modern, well, let's say many modern day religions are? God is a judge of the individuals, but nevertheless, the whole aura that is presented there is based on that, on the liturgy and, uh, and show and this kind of thing. Hosea 7, Hosea 7 and verse number 14. As we read here, woe to them, they have fled from me, destruction, so on and so forth. They have spoken lies against me. Verse 14. They did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed upon their beds. Or as the Moffat says, they never put their hearts into their prayers. That's what I'm saying. You've got to be sincere. You have to mean it. If you're sincere and you mean it, you'll get results. But if it's just something you go through because you know you're supposed to do, go through it, it's not going to profit you. Now the third thing, you've got to be humble. You know what I mean by that? You've got to be absolutely open to God so that you are willing to receive correction. You know, I don't know how many people you'll hear they talk about reading the Bible and they'll approach it from two viewpoints, either to gain technical understanding or to get inspiration. How many of them read it to get correction? What does God say his word is? It's like a two-edged sword, isn't it? It cuts right down to the very marrow. And it goes to the depths of the soul. So you see very plainly here, unless a person is really open and humble, and uh, not, not trying to hide, he exposes himself. And he certainly confesses to God. 
You know, when you stop by, uh, stop in, uh, back there at that text I read there in, in Daniel, and Daniel was praying for the sins of his people, do you suppose he was excluding himself? Isaiah 57, verse number 15. For thus, uh, thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternally, eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell on the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Contrite and humble spirit. I don't know why it is. Every single time somebody gets corrected, they start justifying it and making excuses for themselves. Why do we do that? Human nature, isn't it? Now, if God came down and corrected you directly, would you do that? You know, there's a reason it says there when uh, they're going to be uh, cast into outer darkness, they'll be waiting and gnashing of teeth, that they're, they're not, some of them aren't even going to have anything to say. They have no excuse. Why is it that people seem to live a lifestyle because they think they're never going to have to answer for it? That's the way this physical life is. We may not answer for it in this life, but I'll guarantee you we will for the, in the next one. Isaiah 60, 66, verses 1 through 3. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. In other words, every single thing he made is so insignificant it doesn't amount to anything. But... On this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. How do you respond to God's word? If you read it and you never seem to realize it's there to correct you and you can't learn by it, are you trembling at God's word? This is why Jeremiah said, as we read in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. That is, the ability to really direct his life properly. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Correct me. You know, there's not a human being on the face of the earth. That doesn't need correction. We all need it. We all may not do the same thing, but you know, when you consider the, the scope of God's law, as um, the psalmist said, your law is exceeding broad. Well, then we all fall into the category here, in, into some category, one way or the other, and we all make mis mistakes and have faults and sins, don't we? Psalm 17, verse number 1. Psalm 17, verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord. This is a prayer of David. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Now let me ask you this question. Do you suppose somebody who's deceitful and hypocritical could be aware of it? 
Oh, most assuredly. There probably are some who are not aware of it and who have uh, cultivated it in such a lifestyle they don't even know the difference. But I can tell you this, there are plenty of people who when they lie, they cheat, they steal, they're hypocritical, they're deceptive, they know it quite well. What he said here is not from deceitful lips. He wasn't trying to hide anything. So, being humble, being willing, willing to be corrected, being open and being willing to be exposed and letting God's word correct you is a very, very important aspect of answered prayer. Now next, prayer should be intense. It's not going to be an effective prayer, but it's a little prayer where you kneel down and say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen in bed now how far do you think a prayer like that's going to get if it's not intense it's not going to be effective let's notice James 5 verse 16 and I'm only concerned here with the latter part of this verse but as we read here the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. That's what it takes. Now you look at Christ. And he certainly set the example. And as you read here in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7, we read, Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Vehement cries and tears. That's what it may take at times. It doesn't mean every prayer you, you pray has, has to be that way. I remember when we were at college years ago, the college built a number of little prayer booths. And they were padded, and they were supposed to be fairly soundproof. They had a little fan in there, and you'd go in and close the door, and then it would have a light to say occupied. And sometime you could go down there where those, those, those booths were, and you could hear some of these guys inside just shouting clear out, and you could hear everything they were saying. Well, you have given credit for their sincerity, at least. So it does show you that um, they, they did take that seriously. Luke 22, verse 44. Luke 22 and verse number 44. Here's an example of what Jesus did in, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane there. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. He was coming to the supreme test where he was going to be tortured and and uh, abused in every way and crucified and, and to give his life for, the, for mankind. And what does it say here? Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Have any of us ever prayed that hard? I doubt it. Psalm 142 verses 1 and 2. Psalm 142 <clears throat> <clears throat> verses 1 and 2 
Notice what David says here. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. Now that's going to presuppose, as I'll show you here in a few minutes, you're in a place where you can do that. I cry out. doesn't say I mumble. I say it under my breath. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. And the Bible says that's where to go in times of need. Go to that throne of grace. Isaiah 38, verse number 3. Isaiah 38, verse 3. Here was Hezekiah. Now, we don't have any idea what he did to bring this upon himself. It must have, might have been some lifestyle, whatever it was. But anyway, he was told in those days, as we read in verse 1, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now what did Hezekiah do? Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Yeah. Was he sincere? Was he earnest? And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Surely I will add your days to your days fifteen years. Yeah, that's right. That's what that prayer gave to him. So you see it is a matter of being intense. All right, next. Persistence is the key. We must be persistent. And that's all assuming, of course, we understand what God's will is. Because if we know it's God's will, then we better be persistent. And uh, the, the, the example, a very good example, I'm just going to read the, the first verse here because it's very brief. But it does show the, 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 um, the, the story, the account that follows it gives the details of, of how Jesus was using it as an example but here in Luke 18 verse number 1 then he spoke a parable to, to, uh, to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart not lose heart we may not get it right away maybe sometime God knows when and he knows what's best but we don't want to lose we don't want to lose heart and give up. That's why we read here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 17, pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean that you just pray constantly day and night every second of your of your moment, but it means if you have a certain uh, these requests, then you continue to keep asking for God's help on those requests. You don't give up. Here's the apostles. Did they, uh, did they realize the importance of prayer and being persistent in it? Well, read Acts 6, verse number 4. Remember the incident where um, 
there arose this complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution? In other words, you had Jews there that had been resided in, had been residing in Palestine, and that's where they lived. And the Hellenists were Jews who'd come from outside regions who spoke Greek, but they were still Jews, and they, and they were in the faith, and they believed. And the twelve summoned a multitude of the disciples and said, "It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables." Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They were concentrating on the spiritual duties and responsibilities, not the physical ones. But both were necessary. And in Colossians 4, verse number 2. Colossians 4 and verse number 2. Continue earnestly in prayer. Continue. And it is important not to allow yourself to get discouraged and just to give up and quit. I've seen people do that. I've seen them get discouraged, just give up and, and quit in their personal lives because they, get, they have personal problems, they weren't getting answers to their prayers, and they, didn't, they just finally threw the towel in. That's a bad mistake. We're here to build character. And a part of that process is patience, endurance, and trusting God and not losing sight of him. And that's why it is important not to give up. In uh, Psalm 55, verse number 17. Psalm 55 and verse number 17. This is interesting. I'm not saying that this is possible. Uh, David certainly had all the free time in the world. Well, I don't say he had free time. That's a wrong statement. The fact is, when a man is a king, uh, he, he obviously had plenty to do. But in his busy schedule, we read here, verse 16, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. Now, again, it would depend, of course, a lot on the circumstances. And when a lot of us are out working on the job, we can't always do that. And uh, perhaps David just uh, made this remark here under a certain trial that he was under, and he was asking God to help, help him in it. In any case, that shows you when a situation is serious, that's a good example to follow. And uh, we can't always, uh, you know, I... I stop and consider what the Muslims do, and they supposedly go to the synagogue and pray five times a day, and uh, everybody gets down on their knees and they hear some recited prayer by some official there. Now, is that prayer? Is that prayer? 
They somehow seem to, you know why people somehow seem to think that if you go to church and some minister prays a public prayer, somehow that, that covers you and, uh, and you're, uh, you've been blessed and uh, you're, 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 all of the problems, your problems are going to be answered too. Not so. We'll see in a moment here. We're not talking about prayer. We're talking about private prayer. Public prayer is another matter. Public prayer shouldn't be anything that's, that's long and ostentatious and uh, showy. If you watch the whole uh, uh, various uh, liturgical exercises that go on in various churches with all their pomp and ceremony, we, I think we've all seen some of those things. It's a good show, isn't it? They might say the right words exactly as the Bible says, but do they understand it? And do they mean it? Now, let's get to the next point here. Pray in private. Privately. Here's a good example in Mark 14 and verse number 23. We'll have a couple that we'll look at here and then see what Jesus' personal instruction was. In Mark 14 and verse number 23, we read, uh, pardon me, Matthew 14. I'll get this straight here eventually. Matthew 14 and verse number 23. <clears throat> Remember, they uh, he had this, uh, this great feast. He gave these people 5,000. Those that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made it his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He needed some privacy. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when even was come, he was alone there. What's it say here? He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. It wasn't public, it was private. So private prayer is absolutely essential. You're not going to pour your heart out and say things that you, uh, that you would necessarily want other people to hear if you're praying to God and you really mean business and you're sincere and you're open. So it's got to be in private. Luke 6 and verse number 12. Luke 6 and verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days, and um, this is certainly an example of, of um, the seriousness of the particular problem here because he was going to choose his 12 disciples. And the future of the church, to a large extent, depended upon these men. He had to choose men that were not going to fail in their mission and in their purpose. One who was chosen was deliberately chosen for that reason, and that was Judas Iscariot. So, if you read the passages following this, he chose the twelve. But notice what you read here. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. I had a minister friend one time of mine that told me 
that he wanted to marry this certain girl. And he spent all night in prayer that God would, would change her mind and grant him this girl. Needless to say, it didn't happen. And you know what he told me later? That was a foolish prayer. He said, it was a foolish thing I did. So, you know, you better be sure you know what God's will is. And I can tell you, sometimes you don't really know what God's will is, but by the circumstances that occur later, you know what it was. But that's where faith comes in. So as you read here, he continued all night in prayer to God. And then amazing, notice, notice, he must have certainly received help from God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. All night in prayer, and then, then was, a, was alert enough to choose twelve out of that group of disciples that were with him. And there were more than twelve that had come to him around. In fact, you'll remember that after Judas Iscariot had uh, betrayed Christ and went out and hung himself, then they had to choose another man. And what did they have? Who did they choose? They, yeah, they, they chose Matthias. But you see, he it said, what were the conditions? He had to be the one that was with them from the very beginning. And he was he he replaced Judas. So it is important that we recognize the need to pray in private. And in Matthew six, verse number six, let us notice what Jesus said here. Matthew 6 and verse 6. When you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's right. You need to have a regular prayer time. Or you pray in private. And you follow these various um, um, recommendations here that I'm giving. Now, the last thing I want to point out is a matter of being obedient. Because it's going to be of little value. I, I pointed out, you know, Daniel pleased God. He says, well, beloved. Now, I can tell you, God would not say that about Daniel if he were doing things that are wrong. And certainly, especially if he did things he knew that were wrong. It's one thing to be ignorant and not know. But it's another thing to know and then still do them. But as you read here in John 9, verse number 31. And this is the incident of the young man who was healed, uh, was blind from birth and was miraculously, miraculously healed. And in John 9... When the Jews called him into account and they were trying to demand of him who did this and who did that, and they wouldn't accept the, the miracle. They were bound and determined to find fault with Christ regardless of what he did. You can see why they stand condemned for what they did. But you read here in John 9, he's answering those Jews, and he answered, we read in verse 27 here, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Well, he was pretty blunt with them, wasn't he? Oh, that didn't set well with him. 
And they reviled him and said, You are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know, know, do not know where he is from. The man said and said to them, Why, this is marvelous, a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from. Yet he was opened my eyes. Here's a man blind from birth. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. There it is. It isn't just in a matter of, of um, obeying God. It's a matter of doing his will. And we have to know what his will is. And that's what I pointed, off, I pointed out right at the very beginning. You have all kinds of people who think they're obeying God, don't they? Right now, the time period in which we're living in history, there's a group of people who think that obeying God is killing other human beings. They think they're obeying God, don't they? Only they don't call him God. You think God's hearing them? Proverbs 15, verse number 8. Proverbs 15 and verse number 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. What he's saying here is people come to him, come to God, and they offer sacrifices, and there are wicked people offering these sacrifices God regards as, a, as an abomination. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. The prayer of the upright. And verse number 29 of this same chapter, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now how does the Bible define righteousness? Psalm 119 verse 172, all thy commandments are righteousness. Not part of them. Not just the part that you're going to choose to follow and not the others. All thy commandments are righteousness. So that's what's important. Proverbs 28 and verse number 9. He who turns away his ear from hearing the law even his prayer shall be an abomination. I remember years ago when I left uh, that worldwide church of God and I talked with a young man who had been one of my assistants and he was still with them and I told him what I felt about things and he said, how can you say that? All those men down there are praying to God. They're God they're, they pray to God. Yeah, they prayed to God all right. Where did, where did it lead them? Did they turn from hearing the law? Where are those churches and where are those people today? Are they holding on to the truth? Good percentage of them don't know whether they're coming or going. Yes, 
You turn away your ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So that's why it is very, very important that we recognize the value of being obedient. Jeremiah 7 and verse number 16. Jeremiah 7 and verse number 16. Here's what God said about his people Israel. They were a disobedient, disobedient people. And he said here, Therefore, do not pray for this people. What he's saying here, it isn't going to do any good. Nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me. For I will not hear you. Yeah, that's how important it is to obey God. To be obedient if we want our prayers to be effective and if we want our prayers answered. And in uh, Psalm 32 and verse number 6. Psalm 32 and verse 6. We read here. He's saying here, let's pick it up here in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. He was open and sincere and honest, forthright, humble, confessing his sins. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. You know what that implies? That implies there's going to be a time when he will not be found. And it will do no good. So that's why we need to realize the importance of obedience. Now let me just summarize these in closing. This, this sermon was entitled, The Key to Answered Prayer. The beginning, of course, is if we don't have a belief in God, then all of these keys won't work. But we have to ask according to God's will. We have to be sincere. We have to be humble, willing to receive correction. We have to be intense. We have to be persistent. We have to pray privately. And we have to be obedient. And if we put these things to practice, along with what I said last week on actually following the outline on how to pray, then our prayers will be answered. <laughs>